0: We sing about God's goodness today because God is good, isn't he? It's easy to forget how good God is. You know, we look at our problems, we look at things that we're going through that we're struggling with and we see barriers and we get focused in on even the little things that really just hassle us and we forget about all the great things that God has done for us. So let's just stop right now and thank him for all the great things he's done for you to bring you here this day. Maybe you're connected with us online, maybe you're right here in the woodlands, maybe you're at our Itasca Cedar campus with Pastor Daniel, who's amazing, wherever you are, God knows where you're going through, and we can thank him that he's a God who knows, he's a God who cares, and he's a God who can do something about it. I'm so grateful for that because we have a God who knows what's going on in our lives, but Not only does he just know, he cares. He's not just some cosmic force out there that knows everything. He cares about every detail of your life. And he wants to do something in your life today, right now, in the next few moments that changes your life forever. So let's thank him. Dear Lord God, we thank you for all your goodness. I forget so many times just to stop and just thank you for all your goodness to me. Lord, your blessings in my life. Lord, how you've brought me through so many struggles. How you've brought me through trials and difficulties and how you've blessed my life so much, even when I didn't deserve it, which is constantly. And Lord, we just thank you right now that you're here and that you're real. And I pray for everyone within the sound of my voice that you would show them by the end of this message that you are real and that you know where they're at, that you care about them more than anyone else, and you have the power to meet their needs. Lord, do that for your glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. I wanna talk today about something that Chris and I are so passionate about. It's really the aim and passion of our lives to live our faith in such a way that it's genuine and real, so that our kids and our grandkids wanna follow Jesus. I mean, there are a lot of things that are important to us, but nothing is more important than that. To live our faith in Christ in such a way that our kids will say, hey, that's real, there's something to that, and they'll wanna follow Jesus. And then their kids, our grandkids, will say, I want to follow Jesus because of what my parents are doing, because it's real. I see that God loves me, and he cares about every detail of my life. That's really the passion of our life. And it's amazing to see our kids growing up and having that faith of their own and going through struggles and and praying and seeking God and seeing God come through, seeing them put God first in the areas of their lives that matter most and Watching our grandkids grow up to fall in love with Jesus. I mean, that's what it's all about. And, and you know, we've made a lot of mistakes as parents, without a doubt. And so it's all God's mercy and all God's grace. Because every kid, every grandchild has their own choice to follow Christ or not. But it's just something that's so dear to our hearts that we pray about each and every day. That our faith will be passed on for generations to come out of God's grace and God's mercy. And if you've come to Christ at Woodland Church, one of the amazing things about a relationship with Christ, it can change generations. When one life is changed, there can be thousands of generations changed because of what Christ has done in your life. And so I want us to look at a passage in Scripture, Judges 2, verse 10. It's a short verse, but... It's a verse that's kind of scary, to be honest. It's kind of a haunting verse, so, but you're gonna be encouraged by this message, because I've got good news for you. So let's stand together, and would you just look at it with me? In Judges 2.10. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. That verse does haunt me. It says that after a generation that loved God, they died, the new generation came up, and they didn't know God, they didn't follow God, they didn't love God with all their heart. You can be seated. It's one of the saddest verses in the Bible. It's talking about Joshua's generation. Joshua, the great leader who led God's people into the promised land. And it says after Joshua and his generation of God followers died off, the next generation grew up not knowing God and not following God. And Joshua's generation was the one that saw God knock down the walls of Jericho. They saw this amazing miracle. Joshua's generation saw God split the Jordan River at flood stage so they could enter the promised land an amazing miracle of God just to be able to step foot in the promised land. Joshua's generation saw miracle after miracle after miracle, and yet their kids, the very next generation, grew up not knowing or following God. Somehow Joshua's generation, of all the good things they did, didn't do the best thing. They didn't pass on their faith. They dropped the baton somehow. And this is a stark reminder to me that Christianity is only one generation away from extinction. Did you hear that? Christianity is only one generation away from extinction. If we don't pass on our faith to our kids, if we don't live out a genuine faith they want to follow and we drop the baton, Christianity is extinct in one generation. It's over, it's history. Well, why did this happen? You see, the generation Joshua led into the promised land was the giant killer generation. The generation before was afraid to go into the promised land because they said there are giants in the land. The land God promised us is amazing but there are giant warriors in the land and these armies are just too big for us. I mean, these warriors are giants compared to us. We look like little ants compared to these giant warriors. We can't go into the land. I mean, it's amazing though. It's a land filled with milk and honey. It's the most beautiful land you've ever seen. I mean, it is unbelievable, but we can't go in the land and they shrunk back in fear. Now 40 years later, Joshua leads a new generation of Israelites into the promised land. The same giant warring tribes are there, but Joshua leads this generation to see that their God is bigger than any giant. And God had made them to be giant killers. And with God's power, that generation entered the promised land and they conquered the giants. They were the giant killer generation but the very next generation grows up not following God. Why? I mean, they followed the giant killer generation. There were still giants in the land that were all around that generation growing up that didn't know God. There were all these giant cultural influences from the idol worshipers around them that were just deadly to the faith of that generation. That generation after Joshua had bigger giants to kill than did their parents. And I don't think the parents of Joshua's generation recognized how devastating those giants were. They recognized when they were facing giant warriors who were out to kill them, but they didn't recognize that their kids were facing greater giants trying to destroy their faith. I really believe Joshua's generation failed to train their children to be giant killers. And I believe we stand at the most critical defining moment in our nation's history. We stand at the spiritual crossroads. The American Survey Center did a survey of Gen Z. That's teenagers up through early 20s. And they found this generation coming up is the least religious generation in American history. Only 34% of Gen Z are religiously or 34% of Gen Z are religiously unaffiliated, and that means the fastest growing religion in the US is no religion. Each generation, it seems, loses more faith. And only 20% say the Bible is the word of God. So they don't have a foundation to build their life on that's secure. They don't have a sure foundation for how to make decisions. And only 35% of them say that faith of any kind is an important part of their life. You see, there's a battle going on for the soul of this next generation. And there are some giants that are coming against them that I'm afraid so many in my generation don't even see. Secularism feeds the giant of hopelessness. You see, our kids are growing up in a secular society. There are these powerful forces of secularism Those are the voices that say that God has no place in the public square. Just be quiet about your faith. That's offensive. But secularism leaves a giant vacuum that is filled quickly by hopelessness. And we see kids growing up in this generation that are filled with hopelessness, even at an early age. They feel like their life has no meaning. They feel like there's no purpose. You see... It feeds this giant of hopelessness because when you take God out of the equation, what's the point? I mean, there is no hope if there's no God. If we're just here by accident, then why get up in the morning? There's no point to life. And so many in this generation growing up are growing up without hope in a world that's just chaos. And then materialism feeds the giant of purposelessness. You see, many of our kids begin to learn that, okay, if there's no point, then I'm just gonna make money, I'm gonna try to succeed. It's a powerful force, this force of materialism. The voices that tell our kids, the more you have, the happier you'll be because your net worth equals your self-worth. And those voices and forces of materialism feed this giant of purposelessness that I have no great purpose beyond myself, that there's nothing that's eternal, There's nothing worth giving my life to that's gonna make a difference for all eternity, so I might as well just live for myself. And then there's hedonism in our culture. It feeds the giant of emptiness. There are these powerful forces of hedonism today, and hedonism is that ancient philosophy that just says eat, drink, and be merry, and tomorrow we die. Those voices tell our young people to live for pleasure, live for yourself, follow your own truth, because there is no foundational truths. You just do what you feel like. Just love everyone and just do whatever you feel like. Except don't love people who don't let you do whatever you feel like. But hedonism just leaves a giant emptiness in the soul. And this generation growing up is the empty generation. It's an emptiness of the soul. Because they were created with a soul that longs for God. And if you try to fill that soul with anything but God, you'll be totally empty. And in this defining moment, we stand face to face with these giants of hopelessness, emptiness, purposelessness, and all I can say is there's only one person who can change that. There's only one person who can stand against that. And that's you. That's me, all throughout history, we've seen how one ordinary person can take their stand in a defining moment and it changes the course of all history. In fact, we're looking in scripture today at a young teenager, an ordinary teenager named David who takes his stand and he kills the giant that his nation is facing. And maybe you didn't know this, but it wasn't just that he killed that one giant. Everyone knows the story of David and Goliath, but it wasn't that he just killed one giant. What he did as a giant killer Changed the course of history. It changed his destiny. It changed the destiny of a whole nation. Because your destiny is determined by where you stand in the defining moments of your life. And in every life, I believe there come maybe three, four, or five defining moments. These historical hinge points that in that defining moment, you take a step forward in faith it takes you to a whole new level and it changes your destiny. But if in that moment you take a step back in fear, it changes your destiny. And many times the destiny of hundreds, thousands, generations. Well, I want you to know that David, the scripture tells us, was just this ordinary teenage boy. He wasn't a warrior, he was a Gen Z. He was just supposed to come to the front lines to bring lunch to his brothers, but the Philistine army and the Israelite army had gathered in the Valley of Elah, and they were getting ready to attack, and just before the attack, this giant steps forward from the Philistine lines, a gargantuan of a man. The Bible says he was nine feet six inches tall. His name was Goliath, and he issues a challenge to the Israelite army. He says, send out your best warrior. Send out your giant warrior, and I'll face him in a man-to-man fight to the death, no holds barred, combat match. And Goliath sends out this challenge and he says, if you defeat me, then our Philistine army will be your slaves. But if I defeat your man, then you will be our slaves. That will be your destiny. If I kill your best man, then you, the whole Israelite army, must surrender to us. Well, everyone in the Israelite front lines was confused by this because King Saul, who stood head and shoulders above everyone else, he had missed his defining moment a long time ago. He missed his moment. He missed his miracle. And he had long since shrunk back in fear rather than stepping forward in faith. And so there was no leadership at the time. And everyone on the front lines was looking at who's going to step up and fight because they had lost all leadership. They were confused and in disarray. And this generation today is a confused generation because of all the voices that are coming at them. It's just so confusing. And when there is no foundation of truth to build your life on, everything is confusing. And what is up is upside down, and what was upside down is now right side up, and you just can't tell You know what's truth. It's a confused generation, but I believe with all my heart It's a called generation. I've got some exciting news to share with you from God's word. This generation, I believe with all my heart, is gonna change the world. Because yes, they're living in a time with so many giants coming at them. The hardest time in the history of our nation to be a Christ follower is coming for this generation. And it's a confused generation, but I'm telling you, God is calling this generation to be giant killers. Well, the army was confused, and David was sent by his dad to bring supplies to his older brothers, and as he was coming up to the front lines, the army was retreating, and he was like, where's everyone going? I thought there was a big battle getting ready to take place, and everyone's running, and he grabs someone and says, what's going on? And they said, don't you know there's this giant in the Philistine camp? We've never seen him anything like him. I mean, he's humongous, and he... He said that he wanted us to send out our best fighter to face him in a man-to-man, hand-to-hand, until the death combat, the ultimate cage match. And there's no one who can stand up to him. And here's what's amazing to me. This teenager who's just there to bring lunch to his older brothers who are in the army, this teenager right then and right there decides he's gonna be the one to face the giant. He wasn't part of the confused generation He was part of the courageous generation. He knew he was a giant killer, called by God to kill giants. It's hard to believe just an ordinary teenager would have that kind of courage. See, while everyone else saw Goliath as a giant problem and a hopeless situation, David saw Goliath as a giant opportunity to bring hope to a whole nation. It was all because he had this healthy respect and a healthy perspective on the greatness of his God. Because he knew God, you know it says in that first verse we read that the next generation grew up who neither knew God or what he had done for Israel. But see David knew God, it wasn't religion. It was that he knew God. He had a relationship with God Almighty and because he had this healthy perspective on the greatness of his God, he looked at life from a God level perspective. And from a God level perspective, Goliath looked like an ant. God looks down and says, I can't even, I can barely see that guy. It's just an ant. And David lived life from this God-level perspective because he knew he was just a teenage boy. But he knew God had made him to be a giant killer. And he had a God who was greater than any giant he would ever face. And so he says, I'm going to take my stand. And that's why I'm so excited to be alive in this defining, critical moment of all history. You know, as we look out and we see all these giant problems, what I see is a giant opportunity to take our stand and change the world. A giant opportunity to take our stand against the giants of our day is ordinary people trusting an extraordinary God. I look at it from a God-level perspective and I just thank the Lord. I thank God that I get to be alive during this time. I heard people always say in my generation, oh, it's so terrible these young people growing up in this generation. I mean, I don't know what's gonna happen to them. This next generation, ah, it's gonna be so awful. It's just awful. Everything's awful. Everything's horrible. That's a ground-level perspective. What I see is the giant problems we face today are really just giant opportunities to take our stand and let our great God change the world through ordinary people like you and me. That's what it's all about. And as we move into celebrating our 30th year as a church next weekend, we're gonna celebrate. It's gonna be an exciting time. But I really believe we stand at our defining moment as a church, and I can't wait to take our stand so that we can change the world with God's power. Because I I want you to know, we as a church are called to train this next generation to be giant killers. And if we do that, this generation, won't be a confused generation, they'll be the courageous generation, they'll be the called generation, the generation that steps up and turns the tide, and God uses to change the world. We've got thousands of Davids at this church. We have thousands of young people, children, teenagers, students, who are slaying the giant of hopelessness because they place their faith in Jesus Christ, our only hope, and they're filled with hope, and they're giving their life away. They're not living for pleasure, They're giving their life away to make an impact. And I believe with all my heart, this generation is going to change the world. Never feel sorry for raising giant killers in a culture filled with giants. And we have a culture filled with giants. And if you don't realize it, if you're a parent and you don't realize it, you better wake up. You better wake up because there are giants out there that are trying to destroy your child's faith. There are giants out there that are coming against them each and every day in subtle ways and in right in your face kind of ways. Never apologize for raising giant killers in a world filled with killing giants. I mean, there are killer giants out there and we've gotta step up. And I believe with all my heart, this is the most important time in our church's history to step up, to stand up greater than ever, to believe God for greater things than ever so that we can train this next generation to be giant killers. I just see what God is doing here at Willen Church and it's so unique. As this next generation coming up that's turning away from their faith, we see all these kids coming to faith. Not only coming to faith but stepping up to be leaders. And I believe with all my heart that this generation is going to change the world. I really do because we have thousands of Davids. And I say to those in that survey that say, I have no religion. I want to say, I agree with you, I have no religion. I, I have no religion. Jesus Christ didn't die and rise again to create a religion. He died and rose again so we could have a relationship with God who made us through his son, Jesus Christ. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't want religion. And I'm afraid that's what a lot of that generation coming up has seen. Maybe they've seen some religion out there someone who's doing some religious things. It's not about a religious service. I I believe Joshua's generation kept doing their religious rituals and services that God had called them to do, but they were no longer seeing the miracles of God in their life, because they were no longer stepping out in faith, and so the generation growing up didn't see that God is real. Because if God doesn't make a difference in your daily life, in your relationships, in your schedule, in your finances, if God doesn't make a difference in your struggles, Then what's the use? Christianity doesn't work in your home, then it doesn't work. You see, I don't want religion, I want a relationship with Christ. I'm so excited that we get to be alive at this historical hinge point in all of history. We see that God wants to do something amazing through ordinary people like you and me, and we have over 4,000 children and students every week at Woodland Church, coming to Christ, growing in Christ, stepping out in faith in Christ. But why? I mean, God's moving powerfully. But Chris and I, when we started the church, said, nothing else happens. The generation coming up, we're gonna invest in them. I mean, we're going to just pour our lives into them. That's why Chris was the children's pastor for the first year, because there's no one else to do it. And she said, I wanna make sure those kids know that it's the best hour of their week, coming in and, and learning about God, having fun at church, and I want them to know that. And so for the whole first year of the church, she never came to one service. We only had one service. Weren't very many people, but there were times when after the service, I would come to her. It was amazing today. There's 150 people showed up. You won't believe it. I can't believe God did that. And four people came to know Christ. And she said, yeah, it was amazing in the nursery too. Let me tell you about that. So amazing. Five volunteers called and said they couldn't make it five minutes before the service started. You know, this happened, this kid threw up, that happened, you know, it's like, wow, sounds like, God bless you too, God bless you. (laughs) Well, now we both shared, let's go. For a year, she didn't get to come, she didn't know she liked the church for a year because she she was never in a service. We finally went to two services, but on her heart and on my heart was, this generation, this generation, we're gonna pour into. We're always gonna pour into that generation coming up. And we're gonna do whatever it takes to do that. I love this next passage in 1 Samuel 17. If you'll look at it with me. David comes to meet with King Saul and King Saul is just, he's just living in fear. He's no longer killing giants. He's not being the leader God called him to be. But in 1 Samuel 17, it says, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I've done this to both lions and bears and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented, all right, go ahead he said and may the Lord be with you. So King Saul's first response to David is, don't be ridiculous. That's so interesting because I would say ridiculous faith is the only kind of faith that changes destinies and changes the course of history. And ridiculous faith is the only kind of faith that slays the giants that are in your life. Don't be ridiculous. Don't stand up for your faith, that's ridiculous. No, you stand up for the greatness of God. And whenever you stand up for the greatness of God, there will be people who are going to say, you've got ridiculous faith, don't be ridiculous. Don't be ridiculous. That's just the way it is, you see. Really, King Saul had a ridiculous perspective. He thought he was being sensible and David was being ridiculous, but David had a sensible faith because he saw the truth. He saw the greatness of his God. Compared to the greatness of God, Goliath looked like this little ant running around, and here was Saul running from an ant. That is ridiculous. But whenever you place your faith in a great God, you step out to believe him for great things, and you stand up and you proclaim your faith in the public square, there will be people that say you're ridiculous but that's just sensible. They just don't know. They just don't have a true perspective and we're to share the truth and love. That's Jesus, truth and love. And so what do we do to really raise giant killers? What do we do to raise giant killers in a culture filled with giants that are out to destroy their faith? What do we do about our faith? Well, we have to be willing to stand out and reflect God's greatness. See, first in your defining moment, don't be afraid to stand out and reflect God's greatness. When you come to those defining moments, don't be afraid to stand out. But when you do stand out, reflect God's greatness. Reflect God's greatness through your life with truth and love. You're gonna be criticized. You need to know that. David was criticized right away. All he was trying to do was help. All he was trying to do was to stand up for God and to reflect God's greatness, but then what happens? He gets criticized by his own family in 1 Samuel 17, 28. But when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking like that, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about the sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know what a cocky brat you are. You just wanna see the battle. So he accuses David of just wanting to see the blood and the gore of the battle, and he questions his motives. He says, what are you doing here anyway? You're not doing your job back home. Who do you think you are? You're just a cocky brat. You're just proud and arrogant. So he questions David's motives. And whenever you stand out to reflect the glory of God, there will be someone that questions your motives. There'll be someone who criticizes you because whenever you stand up and stand out, all the people who are sitting down that have missed their defining moment in this life are gonna criticize you and tell you to sit down. Just makes them feel better. But that's when God says you just stand up all the more. Stand up with truth and love. Whenever you stand up and step out in faith to do anything that makes a difference for generations to come, there will be people who'll try to sit you down. There will be people who'll try to cut you down and say, who do you think you are? You're getting too big for your britches. Who do you think you are? Why are you standing out like that? Sit down. It's just the way it is. But don't ever be afraid to stand out for the glory of God. so interesting to me that David doesn't shrink back. In fact, he just ignores his older brother. Maybe he was used to it, I don't know. But he doesn't even answer him. He says, what are you doing here anyway? I mean, you're gonna go fight this giant? You're crazy. You're just trying to draw attention to yourself. You're not gonna do that. What are you doing here anyway? Who do you think you are? And David goes, that's great. I've got something to do, bye. He He doesn't stay there hearing that discouragement. And I'm telling you, This is real important. Students, young people in this generation coming up, parents, this is so important to understand. You've got to get your kids around people that encourage them to go the right direction. And that's why they need to be in church. That's why they need to be connected. That's why they need to go to Beach Week and Rally Weekend and all these things that we do for students to invest in them. They need to be at the services, for the student services. It's so powerful. To connect because they need to be around some other kids who are going the right direction. And you don't even need a lot of kids. You gotta have four or five friends when you're in high school. You gotta have several friends when you reach those college years. Children need a few friends that that love God or go in the right direction. They don't have it all together, but they're going the right direction. And by the way, we've got 4,000 of them. And so it's so important to see, look, this generation's growing up following God, and we're gonna build our lives on Christ's truth and Christ's love. And I can't afford to have discouragers in my life. I, you know, I don't have a lot of courage, and discourage just means to take away courage. If you just hang around discouragers all the time, why are you doing that? I don't get that. You can't do that. I mean, you're gonna fail. If you have someone like that in your, in your life, unless they're your spouse, you need to get away from them Desperately. <laughs> Desperately. Bible says there's another situation with spouse, but anyway, we'll talk about that in about uh, a 10-part series. But, um, but I'm telling you, if you got some people in your life and you can get away from them, then get away from them because you need to be with people who encourage you, put courage into your life, who put courage into your life because you're a giant killer because you have a giant God who's greater than any giant that you face. I love how David just turns to others. He just ignores his brother completely. He doesn't sit down. He keeps standing out and reflecting the glory of God. And don't let anyone ever keep you from believing God for all that he wants you to believe him for. For trusting God for great things. Our God loves it. It's not about you, it's about God. You know, our daddy God loves it. Whenever I, my kids were little growing up, they always thought dad could fix everything. Hey, bring that to dad, it's broken. Daddy can do it, daddy can do it. And I love the fact that they thought I could do anything, even though I would go, man, we gotta take this down and get this repaired somehow. You know, I mean, we gotta, I gotta buy a new one now. I have no clue how to fix this. But I love that they thought I could. Dad, you can do it. And that's the way it is with God. God loves it when his kids believe him for great things. God loves it when we bring our broken things to him and say, I'm broken, Daddy God, can you heal me? Can you restore me? God loves it when we bring those dreams to him that have been shattered and say, God, take it and put it back together, but make it your dream. Take all my selfishness out of it. God loves it when we believe him for great things in our lives. Bring that dream to God. Bring that broken heart to God. Bring those broken emotions to God. He loves you and he cares about you, and he's big enough. Well, we need to believe God for great things. When the church started, and we started in a little elementary school with just a few people, and then after it started growing, people would ask me, when are we gonna get a church? And I said, we have a church. Yeah, but what are we gonna get a church? I said, the church is not a building. It's the body of Christ. The church is not a place you go. It's you. You're the church. We have a church. We just don't know where we're gonna meet next week. That's the only problem. But we got a church. And so we kept renting different facilities, and and we we were starting to grow, and had about 300 people at the church, and we just couldn't believe what God had done. And and then some people started asking me in the church, you know, how much land are we gonna get? I mean, can we buy some land around here? And I said, "I, I don't know. I think we need at least 50 acres, I don't know much about land, and they said, well, in the Woodlands, you can only buy five acres of land if you're a church, that's the rule. And I said, well, we need a lot more than that because as the church grows, we don't want to have to turn people away, we want to buy land for the future, and, but I have no idea. And then, not too long after that, the, um, a family who owned the land that we're on right here at the Woodlands campus, 125 acres, who hadn't sold to the Woodlands Corporation, and they didn't want to, and The woodlands had the access around it. They said, we'll sell it to you. And the woodlands said, if you guys buy it, we'll make it part of the woodlands and you build your access in and it all gets worked out and it's great. 125 acres. And it was 800,000 something dollars. It was $7,000 an acre. And I said, you know, our little church, we can't afford that, but God, is this what you want? And we came back to the church. I hadn't found the land, they just came to us. And I went back and those 300 people said, yes, let's go for it. One guy said, is that enough? Is that enough land? And I'm going, you're nuts, man. You know, either, either you are a prophet and have great faith, but or maybe you just need to be on some meds. I don't know, but I am so glad you're here because you, you may be crazy, but you're encouraging me right now. Thank you. And so we began to say, Okay, let's give, let's give extra. And that's what we did. And I said, I'm not a fundraiser. Don't know how to do that. But why don't we pray and ask God to show us what to give over and above our regular giving so we can get this land. And I'm telling you, they put their money where their mouth was. And people, some people gave their wedding rings. They said, my marriage has been saved here. I want us to get this land because I know there's gonna be thousands of marriages saved over the years, over the generations. My kid came to Christ here. I wanna give sacrificially. It was, it was so humbling to see all of us giving. And some of you were there, and you got to be part of that. And, and I remember we decided to have a banquet. And the banquet was going to be at the end of everything to celebrate, to pray for God to come through so we could get the land. And we had this banquet. And before the banquet, I had our student pastor come out here to the land And I said, I want you to dig up several bagfuls of dirt, bring them back to the office that we're renting, and then I've got vials. Put them in the vials, and at the banquet, we're gonna give these vials of dirt out and ask people to really pray that God would help us get the land. And so he went out and he wasn't gone very long. Came back to the office and I said, Wow, that was quick. He said, Yeah, it was really easy. You know, I just got several bags full of dirt, just like you said, it's all great. And I said, but wait a minute, when I went to the land the other day for the first time, it took me like 30 minutes to navigate through there because it's not right there by the road, you've gotta walk all the way in there, and it's really muddy, there's some wetlands there, and, and it took me forever to get back there. And he said, oh no, I just stepped right off of Gosling and started digging. And I said, that's where they're building a gas station, man, that is not our, that's not our land. That's and I said, you know, it's gonna be the most blessed gas station of the world, and it is, it is. Because, because we took that land and we prayed over it. <laughs> for God to bless that land. Think about it every time I go by the gas station there, but, but then it was like too late to, for him to go back to the land to get the real land. I said, okay, well what I'm gonna do at the end of the banquet is I'm gonna say, hey guys, these vials of dirt are land. It's dirt that's close to our land, real close to our land. Real <laughs> close, it's so close. You can almost see it from there. So, and I want you to pray over this land and I want you just to pray for God to come through and use us all so that we can possess this land for him and his glory. And, and so at the end of the banquet, I said that. And as soon as I said, this is filled with vials of dirt from the land, everyone just gasped. And I was, what, hap- what happened? And then several started saying, we poured it on our salad. We thought it was pepper. And <laughs> half of the people at the banquet had eaten the land. <laughs> there wasn't even our land. And then God provided. It was an amazing thing. God uses ordinary, really imperfect, screwed up people to get his will done. And I am so grateful for that. And I think about all those who sacrificed so we could have this land. That was a sacrifice. They ate the land, they gave for the land, and that's the story of the land. But we gotta claim the new land that God has for us because God has greater things ahead for us. And man, this is a time that if we don't do it, a whole generation will be lost. I'm telling you, a whole generation will be lost. And Christianity is only one generation away from extinction. It's also only one generation away from revival sweeping the world. That's the way it's always been. And so if we're going to raise giant killers, we have to stand up and proclaim God's greatness. You see, in your defining moment, don't be afraid to stand up and proclaim the greatness and the glory of God. David wasn't afraid to stand up. In fact, look at First Samuel 17, verse 45. When he went out to meet Goliath, David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle and he will give you to us. That ordinary teenager had an extraordinary faith in God because he knew he had an extraordinary God. And can you imagine saying that to Goliath? Goliath, here's what I'm gonna do. I just want you to know it. I'm going to kill you, then I'm gonna cut off your head, then we're gonna destroy your army, that's what's going to happen here. We're going to feed your army to the birds. So get ready. The Lord of heaven's armies has declared it. And I am going to show you that he is real. That he is real. And it's all for his glory. I love that. In Romans 1.16, Paul says this. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. You see, Woodland's church will never be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we believe the only way we're gonna slay the giant of hopelessness that pervades this generation is with the gospel of hope. And the gospel means good news. So we're not going to preach the gospel of hate. We preach the gospel of hope. We preach the truth, and a lot of people are gonna think we're haters because we preach the truth. But there's no love if you don't preach the truth. And the truth is God loves everyone, and we're all sinners, and we need him to save us. I'm a sinner, we're all sinners, but we got a savior and he's our only hope and he's the only way and he's the only one that can heal our nation because it's a spiritual problem. He's the only one that can heal our hearts. He's the only one that can give you purpose. He's the only one that can fill the emptiness, the God-shaped hole that's in your heart. We're gonna proclaim it louder and bolder than ever before and we will not sit down. We won't shut up because we have the gospel of hope and there is no hopeless cause because we have the God of the second chance. We have the God of the hopeless case. We have the God who saves. We'll not water down the gospel. We will not wander from the truth. We will share the truth, because that's the only foundation upon which you can build a life. If you don't share the truth, and by the way, there's so many in the generation that are leaving the mainline denominations as they're leaving the truth, a lot of them, and because why, why go to church? You to believe whatever you want, it's no big deal. There's no truth to build your life on. This generation wants a call that's greater than themselves and they want to be challenged to do something with God's power that they can't do. And when you water down the gospel, it's not attractive to anyone. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel of surrender your life. We're not playing games, we're not playing church. Eternal destinies are at stake. I mean, if this isn't real, we might as well close the doors of the church and go home and party and live for pleasure, live for ourselves. But I want you to know it's real. Life is short. Eternity is long. Heaven and hell are real. And grace, God's grace through Christ is available to everyone. And that's the truth. And God loves everyone. And he wants everyone to come into his forever family. You see, our only hope is the cross of Christ. It's not... Self-help, it's self-helpless. We're all helpless without him. But when we turn to him, he gives us his strength and his power, and that's great news. That's what the gospel means, good news. It's the good news, and we're gonna do whatever it takes to get the good news out for his glory. John three sixteen: for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That is the good news. God loves the world, God loves everyone. The ground is leveled at the foot of the cross. Whoever turns to him, he's right there to save, to forgive, to heal, and to give a purpose to. And in this time before we're gonna raise giant killers, we gotta stand for a cause greater than ourselves. Don't be afraid in your defining moment to stand for a cause that's greater than yourself. If you're not doing anything with your one and only life that's gonna outlast you, then there's no purpose. There's no meaning. But we want to train giant killers and we want to be giant killers each and every day to stand up for Christ. And that's why we're doing what we're calling Believe and Build, the vision. You see, God's done great things at Will and Church in the past, but we're stepping out in faith, believing that God's gonna do greater things. We're risking in faith, we're stepping in faith because that's what God always calls us to do. Because more people need Christ and this generation needs Christ worse than ever the least religious, the least faith of any generation in American history. And the trend is going that way and it has to turn around. And it's turning around here at Woodland Church. I mean, it's, amaz- it's going the other direction of Woodland Church Church. Kids just keep coming to Christ. It's amazing what God is doing and so we're gonna invest in them. In our believe and build vision, we're gonna raise money. Because if we don't put our money where our mouth is, these kids, I mean, what's gonna happen to them if we don't invest in them? And it takes money. And so we're gonna be building a downtown campus to reach those children, inner city kids as well. And that's a big part of it. Nestled next to the Fifth Ward, this historic district down there. We're gonna team up. We already are of pastors and churches down there that are doing a great work to bring resources and new volunteers to make a difference. And we're gonna reach people from all over Houston and we're already building the campus. We just... Don't have any money for it. But we're building the campus. You know, we've already started and we're going and and so we're gonna, that's gonna be part of believe and build. And then we're gonna rebuild the student buildings. And that's huge and it's gonna take a lot of money to do that because they've been there forever, those metal buildings. And it's time to do something really powerful and nice for this next generation. First, we're gonna get the smell out of it. Second thing we're gonna do is we're gonna remodel the whole thing. It's gonna take several million dollars to do that. We're gonna, revamp uh, our Atascaceta campus that's growing and doing amazing things. And and now that campus needs a lot of updates. This one as well. um, We're going to build ball fields. We have 50 acres left. Did you know that? And so we've been praying about what to do. And God's led us now to build really nice ball fields to have children's leagues and student leagues of uh, baseball, softball, Soccer, but yet it's all gonna revolve around Jesus Christ because you bring kids in and they see that that coach loves Christ and they have a devotional before every game. It gets competitive, it's awesome, but it's like it's all about Jesus and they learn character qualities from Christ in a program that we're designing for that and we're building ball fields and then if you reach a man, we're gonna have all these softball fields and sports fields, we may have pickleball, who knows, I'm about to give in on that. I, I don't know. It's an old man sport, but anyway. Um, but here, here's the thing. When you reach the man, you reach a husband, you reach the whole family. And that's a big part of what our society needs to be rebuilt on is men today need to stand up for Jesus Christ and live for Jesus Christ. And you reach a man, you reach that family, and you reach generations to come. We're gonna do whatever it takes with God's power to increase our missions and our ministries all over the world, and you're gonna be hearing more about that in the coming days, but we're having our offering. It's gonna be the second weekend of December, but you can give now, you can give anytime, but what I want you to do is pray about it and ask God to show you what you need to give above and beyond your regular giving for Believe and Build, so we can accomplish these things for his glory, and just pray about it. I'm no fundraiser, but God wants our hearts And so Chris and I are looking forward to giving a sacrificial gift over and above our regular tithes and offerings and I just pray for everyone to do that and you've got a little commitment card that's in your hand right now that that was given to you and it talks about how you can give. It talks about, um, you know, what we're all about here, restoring the broken and rebuilding the foundations but I want you to pray about it, what God would have you give for his glory because This is such a historical hinge point as we celebrate 30 years. It's really not about that. It's about what God wants to do in the next 30 years because we celebrate all that God's done, but if we don't step up and let him use us in a way that's beyond normal, then this generation will just be normal. And normal right now is fewer and fewer growing up to know God. Most people in Gen Z, the kids growing up, have never been to a church service. Did you know that? Fewer and fewer have experienced him even at church. And when they do go to church, a lot of times, they don't wanna be there, it's so boring. And so we want to change all that with God's power. And so I want us to stand for him. I want us to stand up in this defining moment and be used of God. To train our kids to be giant killers. Never apologize for raising giant killers in a world filled with giants. Let's pray, dear God I thank you for your love for us and I just pray that you would help each and every one of us feel the burden, to feel the weight of what's really important so we don't live our lives just doing things for ourselves and we miss out on the most important thing or doing things we think are important but yet it's not changing the next generation. Help us live out our faith in such a real and genuine way and I pray for every one of us that you would strengthen us to be giant killers for your glory to remember how big and great you are, to trust you to do big and great things in our lives. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well in church, we're gonna give our regular gifts and offerings right now, and there are many ways to give, and you can give your Believe and Build offering, too. Let's go up to the website and show the ways to give, you guys. Yeah, you, all you have to do is just click giving, and you can do it on your uh, phone, Just text GIVEWC to 77977 or you can uh, go to wc.org and just select the giving banner. You can set up your current giving and tithing. And then also there's a place to do your commitment and your gift for Believe and Build that we'll be talking about. Let's give to him. You can give all kinds of ways, guys. You can give stocks or assets. You can give by mailing it in, doing it online, or giving it right here. Ours is gonna come right now to take our offering and as they do, I want to remind you, next weekend is our big anniversary celebration. It's going to be like a Christmas Eve service. It's going to be so powerful and really creative. Chris and I will be doing it, but it's, we've been planning this for a long time, and it's at 6 p.m. on Saturday night, 9.30 and 11.30 a.m. And so don't miss it next weekend, the big 30-year anniversary, and it's all about what God wants to do in our lives. It's about faith, hope, and love and how to build your life on faith, hope, and love. Hey, God's up to something great. In fact, we have Festival of Lights coming up, and you ought to go online, get your tickets for Festival of Lights, invite friends. The reason we do that is because we want people to experience Christ at Christmas and the real meaning of Christmas, and that's what our Festival of Lights guides people through this long walkway that's all about the story of Christmas, and then we want them to be here on Christmas Eve services. We praise God for you, Woodland Church. I'm praying for you this week. Pray with your family. Get with your family this week and say, let's pray that God would give us the courage to step out in faith, to give a sacrificial gift over and above our regular giving for this generation coming up. And then plan it out with your family and then make a two-year commitment. You can do that online. That's not gonna be taken out of anything. That's just, it's just really a prayer. God, help us do this and go on an adventure with God. It's not a pledge, not held accountable to that, but then give your one-time gift for the offering as well. And we'll see God come through and do miracles in our lives because you can't outgive God. And that's the greatest thing about it. Let's stand, Woodlands Church. By the way, Woodlands Worship just came out with a brand new song, Wind and the Waves. You've sang it and now the other churches get it, but Wind and the Waves, and I'm telling you, build your life on God's foundation. It doesn't matter what storms come your way, the wind and the waves can hit, but you keep stepping out in faith and obeying God and you will stay strong. It's a foundation that will never fall. You will never fail because God never fails. And so we're gonna sing wind and the waves right now and thank the Lord in advance for how he's gonna get you through the storms this week. If you believe God's gonna get you through this week, he brought you here and he's gonna bring you forward. He goes ahead of you, behind you, beside you. He loves you and he is real. Let's go stand for him and show the world the light of Jesus Christ.